To say the least, we are indeed grateful to God for allowing us to be here today and you who have come to give witness to the existence of the church and the preaching of the gospel and the reaching out of salvation of all those who would respond to Jesus Christ. We're thankful for your presence and the continued cooperation of uh, the many of you in the diverse projects that we have and everything to help this church move forward and the personal adjustments uh, that you make in favor of the church uh, so that it might experience a true ministry with Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the songs that we've had this morning and the prayers have been prayed and the deep undergirding sincerity with which we, uh, through which we try to reach forward. Precious moments in our time, sacrificial time for many of us to be here and we do not even realize it as a sacrifice since we are convinced that this is our place at this time, but other places that you could be and not be in the evil beyond not assembling as God wills you. On the message today, my aim is to promote a profound knowledge and appreciation for the scriptures and our enhancing ability to respond to them, to be obedient to them, and not just know them uh, philosophically and verbally, but that they grab us and hold us and require response. Now that indeed is an omnibus task, and uh, yet God has put me in this place to achieve that objective. So therefore I move forth prayerfully and solicitation of your prayers, and with all ears open, willing to hear, that you might be challenged, as God wills you to be, to bring yourself within the circumference of his will and to live obediently to the kingdom of heaven. We're thankful for this Lord's Day, uh, the financial support that many of you give and the giving of yourselves to a great cause. And we are in this spot at this time to do some things for the Lord. And I feel that our calling here is divine and it is uh, a responsive life to the will of God and we must always be responding to that. Uh, we have uh, financial obligations and duties to complete uh, and more importantly, we have uh, people to bring to Christ. Uh, the fundamental and almost unilateral purpose of the church is uh, saving souls and bringing them to God. And if you cannot get interested in that, then it makes it difficult to enjoy the kingdom and its benefits. So I solicit your prayers as I press forward to try to bring to you what I understand God wants me to be saying today. And I pray that you will respond through thought and consideration. So the purpose of the message today is to encourage and to promote serious and profound knowledge and respect of the scriptures as the final word of God and our submission to them. 
That's what it's all about. And that's what we seek to attain. Beyond all else, we believe and we recognize that the scriptures are the irrevocable, the unadulterated word of God. And that they are the final and lasting authority for the Christian believer. And anyone who can walk over those scriptures or who cannot submit to them certainly has a unique problem. All that we believe and all that we do must be anchored in scripture if they are our authority. The scripture is the last word to which we are all subject. We can differ as much as we will, but when it comes down to the scripture, we cannot differ. We must be one. Speak the same thing and mind the same thing. And there should not be any divisions among us. And our lack of respect for the scripture is detrimental to the continuity of life of the church. Those who ignore and those who reject or refuse scripture are, either to, are neither to be trusted nor followed. We cannot, as a church, follow folk who do not recognize the scriptures as the word of God, regardless of our relationship to them may be and how much we love them. We cannot give way to them against the scripture. Those folk would deny the power of God to lead those who follow this, them to, eat, to do evil and to a damnable destiny. Paul told Timothy that all scripture, all scripture is given by God and is given by the inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction in righteousness. That the man of God, the proclaimer of the truth, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now that's pretty profound. And it's inclusive. Peter said knowing this first, that Scripture did not come in olden time by the thought of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So when you are dealing with Scripture, accepting or ignoring it or overrunning it, pushing it to the side, you are in effect dealing with God because these are his words, the truth of the Scriptures. Paul went on to say to Timothy to preach the word because the word is the pronouncing of scripture. To preach the word, to be instant, in season and out of season. To reprove, to rebuke with all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come 
when men will not obey or when they will not endure sound doctrine. A moment that is destined to come, a moment that is already here, a moment to which we and the church are exposed and we are the victims of that disobedience. But Paul says to us, be instant in season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, knowing that there's going to be difficult times for those who believe the word and try to live by it. And it's going to be perilous for those of us who dare to preach it. Because people not only reject the message, they reject us who preach and see us as enemies to what they will to do while they move on as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul was so impressed and committed to the power of Scripture that he said to Timothy regarding the eldership of the church in 1 Timothy 5.19 Those who sin rebuke before all that others may fear. In other words, use them as demonstration let the world see that whoever they may be, elders, ministers, members, whatever the case is, no one has the right or the power to withstand the scripture. And all of us fall beneath the power of the scripture. In the 10th chapter of the book of Romans, Paul asks, how can they believe without a preacher? And how can they preach except they be sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Now, with this sermon goes the recognition that in our church throughout the land, the ministry is many times not the most respected person. Now, that's not to indict, but just to look at an objective picture. And it's folly in that. How can you not be receptive to the teacher and follow the teaching? We have to build our respect for those who proclaim the truth and who endure suffering in order to accomplish that. Uh, his words are the primary vocal opportunity of leading the church forward. And Paul says no one can withstand that truth. He further told Timothy, these things command and teach and let no one despise your youth. So, for Paul, Timothy is standing there, a young man in the gospel, with no opportunity really not to preach the truth. Even though the time will come when men will not endure a sound doctrine, the lack of respect for the scripture of the word of God that is given by God, churches falter and fail to go forward. Our hope in Atlanta at Simpson Street is enhancing, increasing our ability to respond to scripture and to do what the Bible says do in every aspect of life. It's a hard message, but one that must be proclaimed. To wait to carry the Simpson Street Church of Christ forward is for us to become more respectful and more obedient 
and responsive to the word. You cannot build a true church of God on human philosophy. It's just not done that way. You cannot build it with financial plans. You may need those things to manage the finances, that, but our primary thrust and call and challenge is to obey the word. And once we are obedient to that word, Jesus advised his disciples to go and lead multiple souls to Christ. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And to wrap it up, he told Timothy to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, commit thou unto faithful men. I stand, Paul says, woe is me if I preach not the gospel of Christ. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my own will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. So the preacher is damned if he does not preach the truth. He's condemned, he falls under the judgment of God. The member is damned if that member does not respond to the word of God. Because it is a vehicle through which the church moves forward. Now not only must we preach just the scripture and the word itself, but the implementations of those scriptures. How is our lives interpreted in regarding the scriptures? The programs that we put on at Simpson Street, can you anchor them in scripture? Can you scripturally, scripturally excuse me, justify what we're doing? Does the Bible tell us to do that? Are we moving with a social thrust and heap of just going along with the world, being in the church? but not really promoting the church. Now I'm gonna admit with you and for you that it's perilous times for the church. And my witness is that there is a declining and deafening interest in the church along scriptural lines. We would to do everything that we wish to do and then blame the church for it and have, have the church as a vehicle. The church is not the vehicle for social programs. It is not the vehicle for political programs. The church is not the vehicle for community programs. While it may recognize and do these things, but what happens to us, we lose the fact that we are primarily interested in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we do our social programs as if it's the church, but we're really just getting to have our way and proceeding along those lines. Paul charged Titus that his responsibility was, according to Scripture, to set things in order that are wanting and to ordain elders in every city. It's the call of the gospel that's beyond everything else the church does. And I see when we become incorporated and we do different things to facilitate our movement, we tend to begin to rely more on human creed and understanding 
We are not keeping the scripture out front. That is the reason why we're here and the reason why I preach today the message that I do. I'm not digging after any particular thing but the fact that there is not the strength in scripture in this church that we ought to have. Who among us stand out for the knowledge of the word? Where is the good Bible student and the scholar? Where is the member and the family and the child that's well versed in the scripture? It's not here. There is some awareness of scripture, but the profundity of knowledge in the word does not exist as it should. And we are weak because of that. And we'll continue to dissipate. And some of us think we're doing great things with the church when we are more involved in social programs and things of that nature. Good to do them, but they'll never do what God wants done. The firmness and scriptural integrity of the preacher is the hope of the believer and the church. And when you give yourselves a minister or fallen one who does not follow the scripture, you cannot go after the scripture that way. But we need people that emerge in this church and arise in this church who are deeply committed to the word and who give themselves fully to it. Studying it, memorizing it, learning it, applying it. One's whole life, hear me please, must be caught up in the scripture. The mission of the church, anchored in scripture, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe whatever I've commanded you, all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you always, even unto the end of the world. That's the authority of the, of the church and the, to go forward. And it is the command that the church goes forward. Leadership structure. I've set some in the church. Evangelists, apostles, and roll on down to Ephesians 11. You've heard me cover that a number of times. But the Structural leadership of the church must be anchored in scripture. And not just programs that we just put together the way to do it. And that's the reason why we need to be deeply concerned about qualifying as men of the church. And as families of the church. I like that passage in Matthew, in not Matthew, but in Acts the uh, sixth chapter when uh, there were a, 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 a discussion arose in the church and there were problems in the church and uh, the Grecian widows were murmuring that they were being neglected and were not being given proper consideration. Uh, the apostles uh, selected, advised the church to select men from its midst who could handle this table handling stuff. Because that word, where well, their responsibility was primarily to deal with the word in its promotion and proclamation. And we don't have time to be going around serving tables. That's what, that's what the passage actually teaches. But it laid out the qualifications of those men 
who would exercise that responsibility. Their task was not that of preaching, but it had to fall within the context of the preached word. It had to be done according to the scripture. Serving tables, taking care of the widows, etc., must have a scriptural basis. And uh, they said, pick you out men full of the Holy Ghost. Full of the Holy Ghost. If we had to pick out some men today out of the Simpson Street Church of Christ who met those qualifications, what would we do? Not only would it be that we do not necessarily have them, but are we aspiring to that? Are we promoting our own programs? That scripture must be anchored in scripture. One of the things that the Church of Christ proclaims is fundamental to our fellowship, that we want to reinstitute the New Testament church. And you can't reinstitute it simply by referencing it and putting a name on your building that describes that church. It's in its contents, it's eternalities, it's guts must be anchored in the word. So if I want to purify the Simpson Street Church of Christ in its message, I must purify my message. I must be sure it, it, it measures up and the member's life must be the same. The way to lead the Church of Christ forward, the true church forward is to meet the prerequisites that they spelled out in the sixth chapter of the book of Acts. And I like to always say the thing that always amazes me and encourages me, uh, that the church in Jerusalem had a deep bench. And, and I like churches with deep benches. Uh, I like baseball teams, football teams that got a strong bench. Now, how strong your bench is determines where you're going to go because somebody's going to get hurt and you need one just as good to stick in that hole. So, when the need arose, they had those men without particular notification sitting there. Sitting there. And when they say, give us six, seven men or six men of good report, full of the Holy Ghost, here we are. Now, not to criticize, but to challenge us to a higher level of ascription. How close would we come to handling that? Are we ready to give excuses for why we are not there? But the opportunity to be anchored in Scripture is not uh, one that uh, is an option. Church discipline, according to 1 Corinthians 3 and 1, Paul sought to discipline that church according to the Word of God and set out prerequisites whereby that ought to occur. The role of the church in society, according to Ephesians, uh, that is to proclaim the manifold wisdom of God. Uh, the 
social and the domestic is handleable by Ephesians 6, how those parents were expected to rear their children and children were expected to respond to God. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. We ride on that. We anchor, our anchorage is there. The sexual life of the member is subject to scriptural control and notification. In Corinth, the church of Christ at Corinth, the Lord's church at Corinth, did not have the moral fortitude that it ought to have had. Corinth is, in scripture, perhaps the most faction-torn church of the New Testament. They had more cliques, more division. They had more issues and a greater capacity to ignore the word. They had a powerful potential and a capacity to ignore the word. In that church in Corinth, like some of our churches today, there was a young man there who was dating his daddy's wife. And Paul said to the church of Corinth, you ought to already have condemned that, but really you're talking about your pride and your privileges as, as, as members. They were not bound by scripture. They did not have the place in their lives that it ought to have. And we are at a disadvantage today because we tend to think like they thought. You come from the vantage point of society, not the vantage point of scripture. And therefore, God does not control our lives any more than he did them because of their lack of respect for God's will. That's what the scriptures, in fact, are. When it came to members of the church and their marrying or not marrying, according to 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, verses 8 and 9, Paul says that for him, he would elect to remain single. When, but if you cannot contain, if you cannot contain, then you ought to marry. For it is better to marry than to burn. King James Version. Other versions correctly translated uh, uh, with greater explanation. It's better to marry than to be aflame with passion. Now, to me, that's clearly saying that people who are not married to each other ought to stay out of the sex activity. Now, it may be hard, but it's fair. There is no justification for moving in that direction. And, and, and tough, yeah, he expects us to maintain that posture. According to Ephesians, the fifth chapter and the third verse, Paul says that fornication should not even be named among you as becoming saints. What is fornication? It's a sexual relationship between any two unmarried people. I can be married. Woman I'm dating could be married to somebody else and having relationship with her, that's fornication. That's not adultery. Adultery is a state. Paul says that type of activity where you, as long as you are not married, you have no right to sex activity. Now, I know that sounds tough and sounds hard, but that's the position. 
of the seventh chapter of First Corinthians, as well as Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Now let's take a few moments aside on this. We're still related to this. I, I, I spoke some to this last Sunday and extending today. Sex is not bad. It is not evil. It is not wrong, except when you practice it. Except the circumstances on which it is done. That's what makes it wrong. These two unmarried people engaging in the act is wrong. These two people married to each other are right engaging in sex. So when you're talking about uh, fornication, etc., you're not talking about condemning the act of sex, period. We're talking about condemning it outside of the marital vow. Outside of those relations, that relationship. It's wrong for a married person to have sex with anybody to whom he is not married or to whom she is not married. It's wrong and against scripture for any person not married to have relationship with someone to whom he or she is not married because it's, it's an illicit relationship. So we need to get that clear in our minds first because sex is created by God for our benefit and for our utility and it's not condemned as such. The violations in sex has to do with where we practice it and when it is practiced. And again, taking a pill or any kind of contraceptive does not relieve us of the scriptural obligation. Good old Simpson Street. Well, you can hear what is to be heard and can say what you want to say. And while you can question what I preach without losing your preacher. And hopefully without losing a member. <laughs> uh, but we, we, we need clarity along these lines uh, is right or wrong according to the circumstances. And we need to be clear about that. Childbirth, thank you, Brother Gibson. <laughs> I, I, I need the amen every now and then though I'm traveling in, 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 in the right grounds. Uh, childbirth is good or evil according to the circumstances within the divine bounds. Child begettal results because God has so planned how it would happen under circumstances. And if any two unmarried people get together, they're just as subject to have, have, have a child as those who are. So it's not the act that you're condemning. Uh, the creation of life is an act of God. He just tells you, do not put my arrangement in place before you hooked up marital-wise. So we don't go out condemning childbirth. We do condemn people who ain't married getting children because those are not the circumstances under which God provides that should occur. And we need to be clear about that. 
childbirth inside of marriage is legitimate and expected. Childbirth outside of marriage is illegitimate and wrong. Did I hear an amen? If the fellow said, let the church say amen. <laughs> and, and, and we need to be uh, 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 adjusted according to our thinking. And if that's what, what, what is being condemned, you, you're outside of the range. And that's controlled by scripture. I cannot say that I'm a Christian and, and, and my sex life not controlled by scripture. You can't do that. And the fact that somebody can come up with an improvised way of helping you avoid the scriptural end still doesn't justify it. It's no more correct for people who are not married to have used contraceptives and not get pregnant than it is for married people. You don't justify it. When I came along they didn't know about the pill. And they got caught more. And, uh, and I, I, I think that those who engage in illegitimate uh, sexual activity uh, and do not get pregnant are just as wrong as those who do get pregnant. Because it's the act itself. What are the concepts of con contraception and what is the aim? The aim of contraception is to prevent con conception. Is, I used to say in a way, is, is to be sure that God doesn't act. That's, that's, that's the hope of contraceptive is that uh, when, when, when the, when the when the sperm hits the, the placenta, that there will not be uh, <laughs> How far wrong am I, Gibson? <laughs> well, I said another way then. <laughs> As cor correction on the spot. Uh, when, when, when the sperm is released, into the uh, female's system, it doesn't have an opportunity to germinate. It doesn't have an opportunity to germinate. <laughs> you, you see, that's why my, that's why my being a farm hand comes in. <laughs> I know you plant that seed in the ground and you get it water so over and then it begins to germinate. Uh, uh, but, the, but, but the, the objective is, and I, I want to deal with, see, there are those who hold that any effort to prevent conception is wrong. And uh, I'm going to take a moment to turn back to Genesis, the 38th chapter. You may want to note that one. This argument, 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 argument here ain't just started. <laughs> Genesis 38th chapter. You might put that up for me on the screen. 
38 and 9. That was a man there, one of Judah's sons, who uh, married a woman by the name of Tamar. And he died before they conceived and had children. And Judah told his younger son, Onan, to marry the woman so that seed would be left for his brother who had died. I hope you're still with me. Onan didn't think too much of that idea. And what he did was when he had a relationship with his wife, King James would say he spilled his semen on the ground uh, and was actually struck down by God and condemned. Now, I'm not sure that is a passage that stands on all fours, as we say in law, for the condemnation of, of uh, contraception. Because God's condemnation was based on the fact that uh, Ona did not do what he asked him to do. He didn't follow through. And that's where the condemnation came in. And so uh, when you argue the issue of whether or not a person can, under any circumstance, practice contraception, you've got to do more than go to Onan to get that. But that's one of the key passages uh, that is used. And uh, uh, the, uh, the, 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 there, were, there were no children uh, to, that, to that relationship. Ex uh, abortion, while I'm at this, is issue of destroying an entity that has already begun, begun life. And I don't have any problem with uh, telling you my stand. My stand is an absolute um, contrary abortionist. Because I don't think you never know what you're doing when you do it. And everybody does not necessarily agree with that. I always have been anti-abortionist. I don't know when you're getting rid of a John Kennedy or what the case may be. Uh, but uh, all of this need to have, a, have meaning for us within the context of Scripture. And I'm saying that if we are scripturally sound and based in Scripture, then we can uh, uh, follow God's leadership as best we can under those circumstances. But the aim is to bring our whole lives into conformity with God's will. Now, therefore, today, I don't ask you to do anything but one primary thing is submit totally to the will of God. That's all I'm saying. I think that's what Scripture is about. That's what the church is about, is bringing our lives in line with God's will and not feeling that any aspect of our lives can lie outside of the range of God. And I wish you every fortune in doing that. Study the scriptures. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed, handling aright the word of truth. I appreciate your listening, the time and consideration, and I hope if there's some way that you are not subject to God's will in any way, that you're not comfortable relinquishing your whole life to God, 
I hope that you'll be led to do that because that's what we are about. And I promised God, we have promised God that when we came forward and resultantly put him on in baptism and sealed that commitment with baptism, I already had told God I believed his word. I was willing to commit myself to him when I walked down the aisle. My mind was already made up. I didn't come down and decide that. I decided in the seat back there that I was going to submit to God. And baptism is a sealing of that commitment. And I'm just trying my best to get us to live up to what we promised. We promised God we'd live this way, that way, excellent. Now we're obligated to do that and not seek, uh, seek excuses and roundabouts as to following God's will. Not only are you asked to hear the gospel and to believe it and repent of your sin, but to be responsive to the whole thrust of God. Everything that God is about, let him fully impact our lives and be children of God in a strange and foreign land. If you're here who have not lived according to God's will and not walked according to his principles, and you brought disgrace and shame upon the church by your disobedience, that you have uh, uh, not followed through on your commitments and and, and you did things that would shame the church. Uh, people would say, I, I don't want to be a member of that church because of such and such and such. That's bringing disgrace on the church. When you do anything to make church look bad, uh, that's disgrace on the church. Uh, when you conduct yourselves or we conduct ourselves in the community in such a way, there is a disgraceful. That's, that's bringing disgrace upon the church. But for me to fall out with Brother Bates or anybody else, and us in private uh, have an issue with one another or my wife and I uh, have differences about something and, and fall out. Uh, that's not anything to bring before the church. It doesn't even belong here because it is something that the church has knowledge of that you have asking forgiveness for. So it's a sin against the, the spiritual community. If you're in that shape, we ask that you would come forward today also. and we'd be, we'd be more than happy to pray for you. If you are here who's never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord in all of his fullness, and you want to make the decision to do that and be an exemplary model for Christ in the community, now is the time. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And we encourage you to enhance the life of this church with that kind of response to God's will. God in heaven knows we need you. We need that kind of fidelity and commitment. And it's worlds that we can cover if we live that way. But this is a serious business that we're in. God is serious and he has made you to be serious. So as we together stand and sing our hymn of invitation, if there is a reason in your mind for coming forward, we ask that you do so and take advantage of it at this time. As we stand together, Brother Bradshaw leaves I in the am resolved no longer to linger to arms by the world's delight and face that a higher thing that are this. Have a look, my son, and I will hasten to him here.
son so glad friend and Jesus his greatest high yes and high will come to this and I am resolved to go to the Savior holy then my sins and strive and here is the true one and he is the just one and he hath the words of life and I will hasten to him hasten so glad and free and Jesus his greatest high yes and high will come to Resolve to follow the Savior faithful and true each day. And hear what he saith and do what he will. And he is the living way. And I will hasten to him hasten so glad and free hasten glad and free Jim hasten his greatest and high yes and high will come to thee and high and resolve to enter the kingdom holy in the path of and friends may and foes may be sent me and still will I enter here slain the song and I I will hasten to him and hasten so glad and free. Hasten glad and free. Jesus, his greatest and highest and high will come to 